0: We've come together tonight for the purposes of worshiping God, of praising Him, and learning more about how to successfully execute His will and to do what He's asked us to do. And I appreciate the comments that were made by our brother at the outset of our services and leading us in an effective and fervent prayer for that purpose. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Well, we're going to read just a couple of verses at the outset of our study together tonight. Glad that you're here. We are glad to have visitors with us and for your presence. We are indeed grateful and we thank you for being an encouragement to us. Sometimes people will say, in what way was I an encouragement to you that you would say that the fact that you are here and that you care about things of a spiritual nature is already a good sign and one that you... Uh, show that you're interested in the things of the Lord. I want to start by reading just a couple of verses in First Timothy chapter 6 and probably one of the mis- most misquoted verses in all the New Testament. I remember years ago playing a trivia game and it was published by a, a major game company And it actually misquoted 1 Timothy chapter 6, which was a sign that so many people get the statement wrong as rendered in verse 10. But go back to verse 7 to a very Jobesque kind of statement to those of you that are familiar with the story of Job, where he says, Paul writing, We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. It's reminiscent of Job saying, Naked I came into this world, and naked I shall return when this world is over or when my life is over having food and clothing with these we shall be content for those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and in perdition for and here's verse 10 usually what happens is we take out the phrase, the love of, we put that in parentheses and we remove it, at least when when I'm talking about we people in general who don't know the Bible as well as what they should. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And we're familiar with what Paul through the Holy Spirit is writing here and why he says that the love of money is indeed the root or a root of all forms or kinds or types of evil. And there are different things that a person could uh, expose or study as a result of this text or when you think about money, when you think about finances, and this is in many ways a part of that study but not a direct correlation to what's written in First Timothy chapter 6. You say, what's the title? Is it money matters or is it money matters? You say, well, it's both of those. And you see that how you put the inflection on the second word, uh, whether or not it's a verb or whether it's a noun, matters. <laughs> and so we're going to try to address that by looking at some ancient wisdom that goes back often 3,000 years ago and making some modern applications or practices today. This is a different kind of sermon, one that I'm not hesitant to engage in because I believe that there is a lot. In fact, I think you would agree with me that there is a great deal about finances and proper money management and making good decisions when it comes to the blessings that God has afforded us with, that there's a lot in the Bible about this particular subject, and that's what we're going to talk about in the, in the course of our. Study together tonight. When I say this, that we're going to talk about money, there could be in some audiences a sense of hesitation that we 're talking about money after all that 's not a biblical topic for someone who 's not very familiar with the Bible. We understand that that is actually contrary. There is some hesitation, some consternation, or some unease when doing a sermon or a study on the subject of money and that may be for a couple reasons: one may be that after all, churches are just in it for the money. And that's what preachers are in it for. And you see that in popular mega churches or televangelists today. Not all televangelists are bad. I used to preach on television. I hope that I wasn't bad. Uh, We never asked for money on our show that reached all of about four people in San Diego County. But I say that uh, jokingly because it was on Uh, Although I will say this, I preached in Virginia a number of years ago, and I was scanning through the channels one night late outside of Washington, D.C., and I looked up and I saw myself there on the screen. It is one of the most frightening things in the world when you're scanning through looking for a sports center or you're looking for the news and then you see your face on the screen. But they were rerunning one of the broadcasts of the show that I did when I was preaching in Virginia a number of years ago. But churches sometimes are in it for the money. And uh, certainly money is important and there are applications that we may even make tonight about the church and contribution and things that we engage in but some say that's a concern and i don't want to come across that way and i hope that that's not the the ending of where we come together tonight secondly some would suggest that money is such a private and a personal issue that i don't want the church to be talking to me about that some would say that the purpose of sermons is really to be spiritual and don't talk to me about the specific means by which i spend or save or earn my money some would say, well, who are you, preacher, to tell me about wise money management when you yourself, and I will admit, I've made my fair uh, uh, choice of poor choices uh, in my life financially, and I think if all of us would go around and say, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have bought that car or shouldn't have spent that money on that meal or whatever, we probably all have our regrets. We wish we could have back the, the money that we spent on said thing that we purchased, but this study, I would argue, in the introduction, is very biblically based. And is designed in order to help us to see money from a godly, biblical perspective. And I want to look at four very uh, principled observations about the way that we... Uh, the way... Sometimes kids are just great. And you, you just have to acknowledge it. We have a lot of kids and they are wonderful. And they're just, they're fun to have around. And we're thankful for them. We're thankful for all of our members. I want to start with this. The Beatles sang a song a number of years ago, and some of you were alive long enough that you remember who the Beatles were or who at least a couple of them are, and they talked about the money can't buy you love. Someone once said that money can't buy you love, but I'd sure like to find that out for myself. Someone once also said that money buys ice cream. Ice cream makes me happy, therefore money can make me happy. And I suppose there's some truth to that as well. But as with all things, when God communicates to us, he helps us to understand what really matters and what does not matter. And that takes us to the book of proverbs where we're going to spend the majority of our time together tonight we're going to look at maybe six to to ten different passages in the book of proverbs starting here in proverbs chapter 18 and i want to just read six seven eight nine different verses over the course of our study together when we make these four principled observations. In chapter 18, verse 11, Solomon, who writes from experience. So Solomon was in many ways qualified. One, he's governed by the Holy Spirit and is writing by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But we know that Solomon was a wealthy man. And he says, I'm here to tell you that money doesn't make you happy. And he says in verse 11, the rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his own self esteem. If you're reading from the New American Standard, you have a translation that, in my opinion, is maybe a little bit better. A rich man's wealth is his high city and like a high wall in his own imagination. And I like the word imagination that the New American Standard uses on this particular occasion. Instead, When we read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and other passages and we pointed out that money can actually cause you many sorrows, 1 Timothy chapter 6, that we'll reference again in just a moment, the incessant desire for money brings many problems. I want to look at five proverbs in the order in which they happen as Solomon writes them starting in the first chapter. We'll look at them very quickly and then just ask a question or two to make our point. The first of those is in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Greed is an ugly thing. All of us have probably been around someone that is greedy for filthy lucre. Someone that's using the old King James version, right? Someone who wants more and is never satisfied. And we've got to be cautious, especially in the United States where we are blessed so financially in so many ways that we don't fall into the trap of thinking, I need more, I want more, I must have more. Drop over to chapter 13 and in verse 8 in the text where Solomon says, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. There's a lot of things you could say about chapter 13 there in verse 8. But simply put, we've got to be cautious with the desire for riches and the desire for more. In the next page of your Bibles in chapter 15 and in verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And you know what happens is when you have more there are often more troubles. Uh, Some of us have rather simple financial statements uh, that make for easy tax filing. And some of you have a little bit more complexity. I don't wish upon anyone what I've heard of some of the horror stories of those who have millions and millions of dollars as to how they go about filing their taxes and settling their estates and dealing with all of their complexities. Some would say, well, I'd still like to learn how difficult that is personally for myself. But it is true what is said here in chapter 15, verse 16, and we see it on the news with individuals that have a, a great amount of money, and with it comes a lot of problems and a lot of temptations, and they get themselves into a lot of trouble. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And finally, here in our list of five that we're looking at here in Proverbs, very late in the book, chapter 28, and in verse 25, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. So there's a a relationship between trusting in God and not trusting what is in my bank account and prosperity. So this brings us then to this question, which has the obvious answer that we've already given away. And that is, do people who are rich, do people who have lots and lots and lots and lots of money have perfect lives without any problems? And the answer, of course, is no, because we see First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 telling us that they are pierced through with many sorrows. So the promise of satisfaction from money will often go unrealized. Reminds me of the story of J.P. Morgan. Yes, that J.P. Morgan who lived a number of years ago when he was asked, how much more do you need in order to be happy, in order to experience contentment, and in order to have enough? And he simply said, just a little bit more. And that was right. That was the right answer. Because you never are satisfied with what you get when that is what you are focused upon. Secondly, in our list of four, spiritual riches are the things that really matter. So I hope that you are wealthy and that you are rich spiritually. And I hope that you get more and more and more out of your relationship with God, out of your study of God's word, out of the relationship that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not just some sort of uh, Pollyanna statement or theoretical idea, but indeed a powerful reminder for our daily walks and our daily lives. And it really is central to what our brother Keith read for us just a few moments, ago. They're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, I heard someone say recently, should be read by every Christian on at least a monthly basis. And I think that's probably a very, very worthwhile endeavor, because that's the great sermon on the mountaintop. That's where Jesus says, here's what the kingdom, which we are praying about, based on what we talked about this morning in David's good sermon, that we are concerned with kingdom growth and kingdom matters, and that's central to Jesus message let's look at five or six proverbs here very quickly go back to proverbs chapter three and again we'll go in the order in which they occur and look at five or six examples of solomon's wise statements you remember that solomon when he was asked what would you have given to you by the lord he says wisdom So that I might govern and discern and make appropriate decisions. And God was pleased with him and he gave him great wisdom along with the great riches. And the great wisdom is what's found here. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. The man who gains understanding. Verse 13. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. Some of the wisest Christians... For whom I've had the most respect are individuals who have very little monetarily. That doesn't mean that just because you have a lot that you are unwise. But the fact of the matter is, is generally speaking, Christians are people of modest means, and therefore we are focused on the things that matter all the more. Over in chapter 8, in verse 8, 9, and 10. The text says, all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain in to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction is the advice or the counsel and not silver, not money. And knowledge rather than choice gold. I mean, if you really think about it, if someone says, I'm going to give you an extra 5% wisdom and discernment, or I'm going to give you an extra 5% return on your investments, which would you take? And we as Christians hesitate, and or do not hesitate, and say, I'll take the extra dose of wisdom, because I want to be able to make good decisions, For the benefit of the kingdom, for the benefit of my brethren, for the benefit of my Lord and my obedience to him. In chapter 11 and verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When I read this verse, I think about a family that uh, has been popular in uh, the media in the last six to eight years, and you may be familiar with who I'm talking about. I'll I'll leave them nameless. They are not Christians, uh, but they made an awful lot of money uh, here in the South and here in Nashville, so I gave you a couple clues to who I may be talking about, those of you that are familiar with the story, and now are in prison. And they're in prison because of financial dealings and hiding their money and different laundering schemes in which they were involved. And so I think about that in verse 4. Riches don't profit them. Nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with having lots of money. But one needs to exercise caution with that based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and, 10. and then drop down to verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. In Proverbs 20, in verse 15 the text reads there is gold and a multitude of rubies but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel again what would you rather have an extra thousand dollars or an extra amount of wisdom and knowledge and again as christians we say give me the wisdom and the knowledge because with that i can better serve my god turn over a page or two in your bibles in proverbs 22 and verse 2 the rich and the poor have this in common the lord is the maker of them all every time i read that verse i think about the memes that have appeared on social media the last couple years of the grave of a rich man and the grave of a poor man and there is nothing different about those six-foot holes. The rich man will go to his grave and take nothing with him. The poor man will go to his grave and take nothing with him. Except, of course, the fact that we have lived our lives either in service to God or not. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished by humility and the fear, verse 4, of the Lord, are riches and honor and life. And finally, in chapter 28, where we read from in verse 25 just a couple of minutes ago, back up to verse 18, very late in the book of Proverbs. And it says, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. We are individuals who want to be wealthy spiritually. And as much as the prosperity gospel has overtaken mega churches uh, and televangelists, I'm here to tell you that the more you invest spiritually, the more you will reap spiritually. I can't give any guarantees about your finances. There are some parameters and some principles in Scripture that we'll talk about at the conclusion of our study together. But by and large, I can't give you that advice. We have members who have experience who can give you that advice, but even then, there's no guarantees. And in fact, in their emails or in their literature or on their websites, it says there is no guarantee you may lose in this investment, depending on the type of investment it is. Thirdly, God wants us to be generous. You say, wait a minute, now you just told me that I I, I may not gain a lot, and now you want me to be generous with the little that I have? Yes, because God wants that. In Matthew chapter 6, it talks about doing good in private ways so that God will reward you openly. And that openly, I'm convinced, is not necessarily in this life where we'll ever experience that kind of reward or recognition. In fact, Generosity is in the very nature of God who created us in his image. And we recently talked about what it means to be created in the image of our God. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, or pull it up into your memory because it is a verse that is memorized by most who are present here and by even many in the world that are somewhat religious or at least watch the NFL and see in the end zone John three sixteen and look it up and see what it has to say. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's the ninth word. And that is a key word in that particular verse because the fact is, is God is, was, and will always be a giver. That's the generous and benevolent God that we serve. Look at two sets of Proverbs. First back in chapter 11 and then in chapter 19. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24, it says, there is one who scatters, Yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, and it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Now, is this uh, landscape providing opportunity for some to misteach, misquote, or misrepresent? Absolutely. And it's not our intention to do so. But the fact is, is when we withhold, he says, it will lead to poverty. There's a relationship between our generosity and our riches in a spiritual, meaningful way. And that's where we depart from those in the religious world that would teach the idea of a prosperity gospel. Or in Proverbs chapter 19, in verse 7, All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. You know, when you have a lot of riches or you have a lot of things going well for you, you make friends very quickly. But are those friends that last and friends that matter? And the answer is often no. And we won't take the time to go back and read in the New Testament the Gospel of Matthew. But this is where, among other occasions, that Jesus highlights this idea that our blessings in this life, as they have no value in the next, how we use them. And so we accumulate wealth, we accumulate things, we accumulate time. We've got to use them in an appropriate fashion. Which brings us to the fourth and the final observation that I wanted us to make tonight, and that is that God values hard work. It's important to note that work is not the result of sin. Anytime I do a sermon about work or about the idea of putting forth effort or making sacrifices, that we understand that it is not a punishment for sin. Pre-sin is, Prior to sin, God says, I want you to work. Now, the nature of that work became harder as a result. Go back and read Genesis chapter three and you see that that's illustrated very clearly. But go back to Proverbs chapter six and read with me three verses here. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways. By the way, he's not talking in baseball terms here, right? He's talking about those who are lazy, In fact, you may have the word lazy that is used here. Consider her ways and be wise. Having no captain, overseer, or ruler, she provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I have a a sermon that I've done before where I simply say, we need more ants. And you say, wait a minute, I I try to kill them as much as I can because they get into my pantry and they invade my kitchen in in the spring and summer. But we need more spiritual ants, A-N-T-S, wherein we are about the business of doing good without anyone being our taskmaster. Or in Proverbs chapter 10 in verse 4, the text there says, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So Solomon here is not condemning being rich. In fact, he's in some ways applauding it as a result of your hard work but always with an exercise of caution about what really matters in this life and in the life to come. And in the 14th chapter, in verse 23, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Talk of the lips is the the literal translation I'm told there in verse 23, that there is profit in labor. God, it seems to me, values two things in terms of our work. One is diligent effort, and one of those is what I would call thought-based decisions. Those two things are key in our work and in the way that we go about doing what God has asked us to do. Let me say just one more thing before we get to the conclusion, which is the applications, which is a part of where we've been pushing towards our entire evening together. And that is when we think about God valuing hard work— By thought-based decisions, which is the second point that I made in the little box at the bottom right of the previous screen, it means that God wants us to prepare, just like the ants in Proverbs chapter 6, and to think ahead. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5 seems to talk about this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. And even if you don't understand all those words, most people in junior high or late elementary school understand that concept. That if you're going to prepare for the future, you have to set something aside. And that's true in a very limited maybe in the next month or in the year, preparing for a vacation or preparing to buy something big. And it's true when it comes to retirement. And it's certainly true when it comes to spiritual life that we make plans for the future because that's what matters the most. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. And Proverbs 23, just a page over in your Bibles, in chapter 23 and verse 4, he says, do not overwork to be rich. He says, because of your own understanding, stop or cease. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Instead, as one preacher said some 25 years ago, wear yourself out trying to do the Lord's will, trying to do what's right. That's easier if we plan it seems to me. Well, let me conclude with what I would call five very basic, simple takeaways. Five things that are important for us as we think about the principles. So you might say, well, we've done the principle section for the last 25, 30 minutes. Now let's spend five minutes talking about the practical side of things. One of those is this, and that is never trust in riches, but know where to trust. And again, go back and read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and particularly put a a laser on chapter 6. It's not that long. It'll take you all of about four to six minutes to read, and it teaches us, do not trust in riches in this life. And that is very difficult to do for us when we are inundated and surrounded by a world that trusts in riches, that trusts in their finances, and that's what matters, there are people that you know and people that I know that all they ever seem to want to talk about, hopefully not Christians, but our friends in the world, uh, maybe family in the world or coworkers, all they ever want to talk about is money. All they ever want to talk about is how to get more. All they ever want to talk about is retirement. All, and these are things that are important to talk about and think about and invest your time in, but they cannot be the whole of everything that we do. Secondly, we need to seek out opportunities to be generous. I would tip my hat to Bill Bain's sermon about six to nine months ago when he talked about the generosity. And if you go to our website and you look up uh, the sermon by Bill, he did a good job of talking about the fact that we need to be generous individuals. And he did a very good job of talking about that, as has uh, other preachers from this pulpit and others. Let me suggest to you thirdly that we ought never to be dishonest in our work because honest work is always better than dishonest gain. Go back to Proverbs chapter 16 to a couple of bonus passages here. In Proverbs 16 and verse eight, better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. You could probably Make an awful lot of money if you're willing to skirt the system or if you're willing to cheat the system or if you're willing to cheat at work or be dishonest with your employer. There are ways for you to make more money and to do so underneath the table. I didn't plan necessarily to do this particular sermon uh, in the month of March where our favorite day of the year, April 15th, which is now going to be April the 18th, is quickly approaching. And I know all of you are excited about filling out those forms or uh, paying an accountant or or filing your taxes. But we as Christians say, yeah, I don't really enjoy it, but I'm glad to live in a country as we prayed this morning that gives me freedoms that I can come and worship. And I'll gladly pay for that. So that's one way to kind of maybe flip it around and think a little bit differently. I'm not saying you have to enjoy everything you do or smile as you go to the mailbox to pay your your taxes come April 18th, but at least understand that it could be worse. And we are quite privileged as Christians in this part of the world in Proverbs 28 and verse 6, there's a similar statement that is made or a similar concept that is represented. It says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity. Integrity is a powerful word. Than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. And as an aside, I was thinking about this as David was preaching this morning. I may say more about this in a sermon coming up maybe I won't, so I'm going to say it now. Or I mean, I live long enough to say it because life is like a vapor and you never know what could happen. But he was talking this morning about praying for preachers and praying for teachers and how right he is because how right the scriptures are on that particular subject. If the trajectory works out the way that it's looking, in the lifetime of our children and grandchildren, things could be Vastly different because of the absence of preachers and teachers who are willing to stand up publicly for fear of ridicule or they think they could make more. David is, is very talented. I don't know if you know this about David, but he's very very talented. He could probably turn his ability to think and to reason and make a little bit more money. That's true with most preachers, except me. I I, I don't have very many talents. I don't know if you're supposed to laugh at that or what. (laughs) It's uncomfortable, isn't it? (laughs) But we could do something else. And maybe I've seen over the last five to 10 years, especially with the advent of social media, where now you know what preachers are doing. There are preachers who are leaving pulpits, not to go into the world, not to go into the world and to to live a a, a poor lifestyle and to uh, make bad decisions. But you know, one of the reasons they're leaving is because of the, the, the work that's involved, the ridicule that comes their way, and sometimes they make more money. And money talks. I'm not suggesting that those that make those decisions are making bad decisions. They have to answer for themselves and provide for their families in the way that's appropriate for them. But what I'm saying is that it's right to be praying for kingdom preachers and teachers, because we're gonna need more of them and more of them, not just because of the principle that was outlined uh, by David this morning in Jesus's words about Mark chapter four and the need for more laborers, but because the laborers are getting fewer and fewer as we move forward into the future. Let me suggest you number four, and this is the point that I was a little bit hesitant to make, but I want to make it uh, and, and speak to a couple of groups of people, and that is be careful with get-rich schemes or things that seem too good to be true. In the investing world, which I know very little about, but I've learned a little bit over the years and talking to people that know a lot, say if something sounds too good to be true, if someone says, if you invest your uh, retirement with me, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a 15% return. I can guarantee you that 15% return. If that sounds too good to be true, and that's too good to be true, find someone else. I would recommend a couple of people, but I won't. I'll leave them nameless for now. But in Proverbs 23, in verse 5, he says, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I love that passage. It just says, You put your focus there, it'll fly away. Here for a moment, and then it's gone. Proverbs 28. Verse 22, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. I made a little note in my notes to to highlight a particular demographic uh, of people but as I thought about that uh, particular note I thought well, that may not be true but but I do want to speak to those of you that are a little bit older those of you that are, are certainly older than me or twice my age uh, not that if you're twice my age that makes you old but if someone calls you and says grandma or says grandpa or whatever word is used and they say that I'm here in Mexico or in South America or somewhere else and I need some money can you wire it to me probably not them what are they playing on They're they're playing on the fact that you're going to be generous and kind and nice. And you know, I I wrote in my notes, older people, it says older people right here. So I made sure that I I highlighted that. But I know of a 21-year-old who had someone call him and say, I'm from the authorities and you need to give me X amount of money in order for me to protect you. And he fell for it and lost $2,000. So the idea of getting rich schemes or things that seem to be good true, when you get an email from the Nigerian prince or the Kuwaiti suitor that says you're going to have options to X millions of dollars if you just help them out, be cautious. I understand that our focus here is spiritual, so don't get me wrong. I just wanted to throw that in because there are people that will take advantage of the young and the old and those in between wherever you may fall. And we need to be cautious with that. And number five, and this is a difficult one, is to exercise caution with debt. Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 26. The Bible says, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge One of those who is surety for debts. Now, that's the new King James Version. Guarantee is a word that is used. Contract is the idea that comes up here. Verse 27, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Now, this is not suggesting nor teaching, nor am I endorsing the concept that some would suggest that it is wrong for Christians to engage in debt. In fact, I don't... uh, I think probably 99% of us have engaged in debt at some point. Most of us have debt right now. If you own a house and you not live there for more than 30, 40 years, you probably have some debt. Uh, Sometimes with a car or going to school, those are things that have to happen. But know what you're getting into both as the borrower and let me say this as lender. I have a friend Who is uh, fairly wealthy. And I asked him one time because someone had called me and wanted to borrow $1,000 or $2,000. It wasn't an enormous amount, but it was more than just $20 out of my wallet. And he says, Leland, just keep in mind, what do you want more, uh, your friend or your money? Because you're going to lose one of them. And you know what? He was right. I kept the friend. So just be careful with lending. Someone says, I'm not going to lend. I'll, I'll give you the $100, but I'm not going to loan you the $100. That probably is a little bit smarter. And again, I'm not trying to go out of the bounds of preaching spiritual things. I'm just throwing this in because of the comments that I've heard, and I can see heads nodding in an affirmative that they understand, yeah, been there, done that. So just be cautious as both the borrower and the lender there's hesitation with a sermon like this, but I hope that it is one that is helpful and one that brings to mind principles and practical sides of things about money, because money matters for godly people, and money matters for godly people, and that's what we wanted to share with you tonight. The greatest riches, though, you will ever experience will not be the result of with all due respect to financial advisors and CPAs and and individuals that are able to help manage money, the most important thing is spiritual. And even our members who are very well uh, at managing money and will help you to do so, they would tell you that, first and foremost, it matters more where you spend your spiritual eternity than where you spend your physical retirement. Someone once said that eternity is kind of like buying a house in the sense that there are three things that matter. (laughs) Location, location, location. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. We, by the grace of God, get to spend it with him in heaven, and we look forward to that. Those that do not enjoy that privilege are those that are without Christ, are those that are not saved, are those that are not Christians, are those that are not baptized. And there may be some here tonight who are in that category, and we want to do all that we can to implore you and encourage you to invest where it really matters. And the good thing is it, it will probably cost you some financial gain, not just in the contribution, but in maybe making some sacrifices or choices financially in your life to put God first and foremost. But we want to help you to be focused in spiritual wealth and spiritual wisdom in the things that really matter. If you are a child of God, and you've already made the choice to serve him, to be baptized, and you did that maybe a year ago, or 10 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago, whatever it may be, and you say, I need to make some sort of correction in my life for my spiritual financial welfare, then we would love to help you and to be there to support you. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.